The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. But let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Keshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. And now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric Branson. With me, as every month, are my co-hosts and good friends, Asad Keski and Matthew Kressel. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Doing good. Good. And of course, we have to introduce, we have a very special guest host this evening, um, for, straight from Chicago TARDIS and also uh, <laughs> a ma- ma- major Who fan and uh, great guy and a friend of mine, Rick Taylor, has joined us tonight. How are you doing, Rick? I am doing great, Eric, and thank you so much for the invitation. It's wonderful to be here and especially with matthew and assad uh as well as you it's gonna be great thank you yeah and and i apologize I forgot to ask before we started rolling um how you wanted me to introduce you so i guess we're just gonna do that live here um is there anything you would like to plug or anything that you're working on or um doesn't necessarily have to be who related just <laughs> well i'm I, all i can say is i don't have i'm a, obviously a massive who fan like everybody else that's either involved with this podcast or listening to this podcast. I'm not someone who is currently active with creating a podcast or working on a blog or doing this or that. I, I, I have a very full life as it is as a <laughs> speech writer. And I also do a lot of professional writing and editing. And I'm involved with publications of various uh, kinds uh, for my career. And then I do a lot of volunteer work with a great organization called Toastmasters, and it kind of occupies a lot of my time, but um, my heart belongs to Doctor Who and always has since I was, um, I guess I was 10 years old in 1982 when I f- saw my first episode of Doctor Who, which was uh, the Suntaran experiment, and you yeah. never forget you never forget your first potato head, believe me. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've been a fan ever since, and uh, it's been quite a journey, and now I'm uh, probably like many of you guys. I'm in a position where I can share my passion for Doctor Who with uh, with nephews and nieces and other members of of my family. So it's uh, really a, a, a treat. It's it's a, it really is a show for all ages and all stages of your life. Yeah. Oh, yes, 100 mm-hmm. percent. I think that's one of the number one things that appeals to me about it. And I, I've talked to that point you know, many times when either on panels or on the podcast or whatever, but certainly it's, it's mass appeal to like all it's kind of an all ages, all, all are welcome experience. And I have, I think that's one of the most attractive things about the show. And because it's kind of an open format, it's, it's just appeals to creative people. I think and the creativity of it is just, yeah. Anyway, um, just to get a little, uh, red tape out of the way. I did, uh, want to mention, um, 
the Police Box of the Junkyard podcast has recently become a member of the Direction Point Network. And that is a network of great Doctor Who podcasts. Um, check out uh, directionpoint.org. If you go and check that out, you'll see all of our um, sister shows there. On, uh, I'd like to welcome two more since the last time we recorded a show uh we'd like to welcome traveling the vortex and the old doctor who show and you'll uh here in just a couple of moments we'll run uh, little trailers for each of those shows and partner podcasts of ours um I'd like to encourage you to check those out if you're looking for more doctor who content and now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out do you collect doctor who do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersberg and your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Enjoy your travels. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Of course, we'd like to thank you for stopping in the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast, either the first or if you found your way from one of those others. Um, so if you're here for the first time, welcome. And uh, tonight we are going to talk about the premiere uh, adventure in the uh, Big Finish 8th Doctor's solo reign. 
You can drop the pretense now, Doctor. I know what you are. We have received your distress signal. Red Rocket Rising. Funny name for a planet. I've heard funnier. Go on, then. Make us laugh. I've seen the old records. The stories about this sector of space, dating back to the days of the pioneers. We've forgotten so much. We felt safe here in our quiet corner of the universe. I was there at their birth. I fought against them in countless wars, seen their legacy in the burial pits of a hundred worlds. Now that's what I call a spaceship. <gasps> Proper saucer shape and everything. The Doctor is an enemy of the Daleks. You are an ally of the Daleks. It is your duty to surrender the Doctor to us. You have asked for help. In return, we expect your cooperation. Classic Doctor Who, brand new adventures. So when they broke the eighth Doctor off of the um, monthly Doctor Who adventures, which which uh, were the fifth Doctor, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth Doctor had kind of a rotating um, monthly adventure. So each month they'd have, feature a different Doctor. Um, they broke off the eighth Doctor to star in his own series, which uh, was the first big finish series to kind of take on the format of the new show so this this launched in 2007 or very late 2006 perhaps i think it aired uh these two episodes actually were released uh, at over a new year so they have they both each have a different year release date and i don't remember it was 0607 or uh 0708 but um either way the uh the new show was uh alive and kicking and very successful by the point when the they put this series together and they decided to make the format a little more similar to what they were doing on television. So about a 50 minute episode um, that most, for the most part was, was contained. So a 50 minute contained story. Um, and then they would do some two part episodes, this debut being one of those, they that spread across two 50 minute uh, shows. Paul McGann, of course, stars as the doctor the eighth doctor in it uh introducing his uh second big finish companion lucy miller who makes her first appearance in this first episode um yeah and uh get a few little um tidbits about this um sorry Lost my place on the page. So uh, written by Steve Lyons, directed by Nicholas Briggs, who, of course, voices the Daleks in it as well, as he does famously. Produced by Nicholas Briggs and Sharon Gosling. Um, a Dalek story, a big season premiere, uh, a launching point of a new series that was also a, co a combo big finish CD release and uh, airing on BBC Seven. Um, so they had a little more exposure than some of the prior big finish stuff, I believe. Um, although I don't know, they, I know they had done some BBC airing before that. Well, they had, I mean, part of the reason that this happened is, is that the reason this whole series exists is because of what's today BBC radio Four extra, what was then called radio seven. Mm -hmm. And it was very much commissioned on the back of TV. Who's big comeback. And as a result of that radio Four extra as it now is seven, then had decided to air some of the Paul McGann audios. So there are radio edits floating around on the internet and in a very rare, hard to find big finish box set of the first three McGann audios, um, invaders from Mars and also Shada. And those have been 
sizable successes for Radio 7. So Radio 7 came to Big Finish and said, let's do Radio Doctor Who and go from there. So that's part of why this is the kind of jumping on point that it is and actually got aired on radio before it ever got released on CD. Yeah, and I, I think um, it does exist as a good, because by, by the point this rolls around, Big Finish had already, I mean, and, and <laughs> as as the, the snowball keeps going, a Big Finish just, be, you know, more and more releases every month, but they'd already gotten themselves quite a big library of stuff. So it, I think it existed as perhaps the first major, like, well, I don't know how to get into Big Finish. Well, this is a new fresh starting point for, you know, jump mm. in here and, you know, check this out. Also, I think it, it existed as um, bait, if you will, for people that were just discovering Doctor Who through the 2005 new series. Um, so they tried to, you know, kind of appeal to both of those. So it's it's, it's definitely classic Who because we were using a classic Doctor, but we're using a new the new format. Some of the energy certainly is being pulled from the um, the new series. It, it certainly feels a little bit more like New Who than it does uh classic at times um it's it, it's kind of exists in this gray area between the two so um so matthew and rick would probably know didn't they also like do on the radio some of the other like sort of orion and um some of the other or did that yeah. come before or later that, that yeah. came before so they did storm warning sort of orion uh stones of venice invaders from mars and shada and shada okay. of course had been a co-production with bbci as it then was uh, the one that got skipped was Minuet in Hell. Um, <laughs> I think partially down to the content of it, but you know, probably for probably a good thing in the long run, given that Minuet in Hell's not particularly very good. No, agreed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they ended up taking the radio edits and actually re-releasing them is as a separate box set, um, mm. which I've only ever seen in person once. I used to know somebody who had it, and that sucker goes for some very silly money on eBay these days. <laughs> but as I said, those were huge. Those were sizable successes. I don't want to say they were huge successes, uh, but Radio Seven slash Four Extra did limited original programming, but was mainly as an archival station because there were decades and decades of audio stuff that they re-aired, and that was what they had done with the Big Finish stuff. Was well, let's do some audio Doctor Who. Oh, we'll buy some Big Finish stuff, and then it turned into, oh, let's actually make original stories for radio. Yeah. Right. And I think that, that's the big difference here is that when we listen to B Blood on the Daleks, I mean, this is a story that was designed with the BBC Radio 7 audience in mind, uh, as opposed to those earlier stories that Matthew was referring to that had their own edited versions that weren't necessarily intended or designed, I should say, for that radio audience. Uh, and to your point, Eric, earlier, it's um, I, I do think that there is something about this new run, or I use the, the word new retrospectively, of course, <laughs> yeah. that new run of uh, Paul McGann, Eighth Doctor Adventures, that very much does have a bit of the spirit of new who about it. Um, the, the, the pace of the stories, um, and I would even just say the feel, the flavor, certainly we can talk more about this as we get into the podcast, but certainly uh, the new companion, Lucy Miller, uh, not a million miles removed from Rose Tyler. I mean, it's very clear to see that the that the new show was shaping how they how Big Finish was molding this new iteration of Paul McGann Adventures. Uh, and I think it's also clear that 
Um, when you compare this production with um, some of his immediate um, stories that he did under the monthly range, that this was clearly an effort where Big Finish were putting a little, maybe a little bit more money behind it. The production itself is, is glossy. It's very high quality. Um, the, the soundtrack is very impressive. It, it just feels very much like, I would even say, uh, at, at, at that time, it was the most professional sounding release that Big Finish had ever put out. It was slick. It was um, very well executed. Uh, and it's no surprise that it's so popular and that it became, uh, to your point, Eric, uh, it ultimately became this great ideal, um, you know, uh, launching pad for Paul McGann. Uh, again, a sort of a, a soft reboot for him and a great uh, point for, for new listeners to, to get on board. Yeah, because at that point, the McGann audios in the monthly range, and this is part of the reason why Radio 7 moved away from them, was they got very arc-driven. And they had done the whole stuff with Charlie and the Web of Time in those first two seasons. And then they had gone off into the Divergent Universe arc, which had been very unpopular at the time. Um, and there's a couple of good stories in that arc, but for the most part, it's, it's a it's a, one of those arcs that you look back on and go, what, what was anybody thinking when they did it? So that was part of the reason, too, that they went off and did what essentially was a reboot. Talking about the tone and stuff, listening to the CD extras for this, one of the things that Nick Briggs talks about is that was part of the brief from Radio 7 is we want something that combines classic who gets a sort of a traditional feel with classic who with the pace of modern who. And it's a sort of, and very much, I think it's true of that entire run of these stories with Lucy Miller that's now extended into Dark Eyes, Doom Coalition, Ravenous, and even to an extent Stranded, uh, which is ongoing as we record, you know, that they are able to combine that best of both worlds approach. And I think that's another reason why they're so successful and also so accessible to fans. You know, you may not like Modern Who very much, but hey, there's, there's Paul McGann and there's classic Who villains in these stories. Whereas, you know, you may not know anything coming in as a modern Who fan about classic Who, but this is a great way of being introduced to it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And um, I guess before we, we get too, too uh, far gone here, let's get uh, everybody a, a quick synopsis. And there's not a great one. They actually use on the back of the CDs just a quote from the, um, <laughs> the uh, story. And so I'm not going to read that to you because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense out of context. Uh, so I'm going to try to do this one off the cuff. But uh, Lucy Miller and the Doctor arrive on the planet Red Rocket Rising, and this is just moments after Lucy Miller has mysteriously appeared in the TARDIS. Uh, if you're familiar with the new series, think kind of the arrival of Donna Noble at the uh, end of um, what is it, the end of time? The end of the end of time is that where she? No, it's uh, at the end of the, uh, Doomsday. The other one, Doomsday. Oh yeah, Doomsday. You're right. You're right. Um, and it was one of the big finales. Um, Anyway, just kind of like, poof, here she is. And there's a lot of mystery around, you know, where did she come from? And um, anyway, they're right in the middle of their, you know, kind of trying to work out that situation. They they uh, land on this planet, um, come to find out uh, they, um, there is a mad scientist of sorts who has created his own breed of human Daleks and then reached out for help uh, to the real Daleks for whom he has uh, gotten gotten their contact info from the crashed uh you know technology that he recovered to create these other daleks uh he's also you know in the meantime transported his uh brain personality whatever somehow into the body of his assistant and um yeah so and we the of course 
uh, real Daleks show up, don't like other Daleks because they're unpure, chaos ensues, etc. So that's essentially what we're uh, dealing with here. Over the part, uh, over over two episodes, um, we learn about a lot about the Doctor and Lucy and how they're going to have a very different dynamic than the Doctor and Charlie did, you know, prior to to this. And um, and that she's in a lot of ways kind of a new companion. Um, I know Rick, you just you compared her a little bit with Rose Tyler, but I, I honestly don't think we see anything exactly like Lucy uh, until you know. I just mentioned Donna. I think we we get that kind of a situation in the early episodes when Donna kind of shows up on the scene uh, again. But, but Lucy's unique. I don't think she's you know, I don't think any one of these people is an exact copy of the other. I'm not not, not saying they're derivative, but yeah, no. And, um, I, and just to clarify, I, I definitely uh, I think I think the, the similarities are more um superficial than anything else it's the fact that you've got an, a 19 year old blonde mm. northern lass with a lot of spunk and personality yes and she's, yeah. she's going along with a, a middle-aged doctor <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's sort of the thing there yeah she is very much a cross between rose and donna uh in that regards and again you know the funny thing is is that donna hadn't quite been introduced yet when they when they did all these because right. uh, I was I was I've got the Wikipedia page up in the background as we're recording. I was amused to discover that actually uh, Runaway Bride, which properly introduced Donna, actually aired on on BBC one on TV just a short time before this episode aired. So, you know, I had a sense of deja vu the first time I listened to it and also when I re-listened to it over the last couple of days. And I, I just try to imagine what a radio audience in 2006 hearing that first episode when it went, didn't I just watch this on TV? <laughs> Yeah, I always think it is right around the same time there. Yeah, so certainly the conceit of Lucy, just her background is very much more with the new series as compared to the sort of companions that they were in, that they had in a lot of the TV, a lot of classic who even like uh, Charlie is like from this, what the early 20th century and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, some sort of right and some sort of and has all sort of from going on because they of course background um which i guess we come up to later but her, but her background is much more grounded which I, which yeah. is an interesting throwback back i guess to early who because back with the 60s his companions were also very contemporary for the time it was only later that they started pulling them for the most part from the past and the future and alien worlds and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly contemporary earth teenagers were essentially. Where, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, until Jamie really, I guess, I, no, I yeah. guess you get a few sprinkled, sprinkled in through the first doctor, but most of the long-term ones were, were all very contemporaneous for the time. Yeah. Apart from Susan. So I kind of wanted to open up to what your thoughts is, because this is an episode uh, over the two parts. So it's two episodes, actually. But this is a, a series that has a lot of firsts going on for it. It's a first doc, you know, a first eighth Doctor and Lucy. It's the first, you know, premiere of this new series. Um, how does it work for you guys as a first episode or as a rebirth? And also, you know, thoughts on on Lucy. And you can do that in any order you want. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter. But thoughts on Lucy in the context of this story and how does she work as a companion? First impressions and all. Well, I've seen some comments online um, that have sort of complained a little bit about the fact that 
Lucy and the doctor don't really uh, get along too well. <laughs> and <laughs> to say the least, you yeah. see when you see them brought together. Um, but for me, that made that was one of the things that I found so compelling about this opening salvo. Um, the fact that there's this great, you know, tension um, between the two of them. Um, really, it, it's really a, a great opportunity for the character, Lucy Miller, to demonstrate that she is her own person, that she's got her own ideas, her own opinions that are very different than the doctor's. She's not just going to go along with the doctor. Uh, and at the same time, I don't find her um, like nails on the chalkboard annoying like like Tegan can sometimes be. Sorry, Tegan fans. <laughs> and I like Tegan as well, but just sometimes she can just get a little bit much. Um, I thought, I, you're, I, I, I thought I, you were going to say Rose and that's the barbs come yeah. out with some people if you say that <laughs> once. But... <laughs> no, and I, I, thought there was a, I thought there was a nice push and pull between uh, Paul McGann and um, uh, Sheridan Smith. And it's, I, I think even in the moments where they're at odds with each other, I think it's very clear that like, the actors, I think, enjoy playing off of each other. Um, you know, I've also seen that, uh, that this story has also come under flack for not being like the most like original uh, Doctor Who story in the world. And, and, and fair enough, you know, it's, it's not like, overly like original it's 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 not like it's the war games or something here but i think it does what it does extremely well um it's just i think it's a very uh, concise um i think it's a very um compelling and engaging story because you've got strong performances and you've got scenarios within the body of the story that make that, that just propel the story along in exciting and in unexpected ways and um, no doubt we're going to get into the reveal of um, the professor and everything, but I, I thought that was also a, a nice surprise and, and very well done. I didn't see that coming along. And of course, um, you know, the quality of the actors uh, is very, very strong. We've got Haley Atwell um, as, as uh, Asha, right? Asha, who becomes the professor, who is the professor, but anyway, I thought it was very, very well done. Very, very well done overall. Rick picked up on a lot of the things I wanted to, I was going to sort of talk about. So well done, Rick. Um, <laughs> I, I have to admit as and part of this is I am a big fan of the eighth doctor and Charlie um, in some ways, because that's where I started with big finish was with, with them. Um, and I, I've taken a very long time to warm up to Lucy Miller, um, which is, which is perhaps heresy a bit for a doctor who being a, a fan of big finish is doctor who, for whatever reason, I, I, I just it didn't work for me the first time round. And listening to it again, I I can kind of sense why now. And part of that is also why I didn't warm to Donna at first either, which is I think that you if you come to it from a very kind of classic who point of view of what companions are supposed to be and who companions are. And Lucy is not quite the antithesis of that, but she's also but she's very different from that. And also the fact that she is, in retrospect, she feels slightly derivative of Rose and Donna, which clearly probably was not what was intended at the time. But I think coming to it from that point of view, I was kind of like, I, 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 I've, I've seen this done before and I much preferred it there. Um, but the chemistry between McGann and Sheridan Smith is, is, unda is undoubtedly there. And there's a lot of fun between them. It's a very different kind of 
bantery chemistry from what McGann had with India Fisher as Charlie. And I think with with the passage of time and a bit of perspective, I could look back on it and say it's it's different. It's it's different. It's not worse or better, but it's different. And I, I can kind of accept it and see it for kind of what it is. It's still not my favorite, you know, thing under the Christmas tree, as it were. Um, but it is something that I can I can listen to and I can appreciate more. I did get the feeling both times I've heard this story that it is in some ways Big Finish doing Planet of the Daleks and the fact that it's it's a Daleks greatest hit story. And there's elements from a whole bunch of other Dalek stories, particularly Power of the Daleks, which for anybody who knows me, I'm a big fanboy of that story. And I think listening to it for the first time originally a few years ago, I kind of went, again, I've heard this before and I enjoyed it better elsewhere. Coming to it again, having been away from it for a few years and also coming at it, looking at it from, as you were saying, Eric, this is the rebirth of Doctor Who in a kind of a way. It works exceedingly well. It's kind of, it's Doctor Who that's there for those of us, for those people out there who aren't the biggest Doctor Who fans who don't know all of these stories. And you can kind of take those tropes and run with them and do different things with them. And looking at it from that perspective, I can also see a lot of the really neat ideas and things that are going on in there. You know, the idea of this post-apocalyptic world, for example, and also the big reveal with um, Haley Atwell actually being the professor all along, which also, you know, one of the big things that's happened since I heard this is Haley Atwell has become Peggy Carter and everything else. And it's one of those things in retrospect, it's amazing that Big Finish have gotten some of the talent that they have over the years who've yeah. gone on to bigger and better things. And while I liked your performance then, I can also appreciate it more now. So as a as as it's one of those stories that for long-term fans, I think you'll kind of look at and go, yeah, I, I, I've seen this bit before. Coming to it from a fresh perspective or even with a bit of distance, you can look at it and go, there's some really interesting things happening here. Yeah, big finish at David Tennant. <laughs> also true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me personally, I think um, uh, Lucy Lucy works. Um, I think initially when I was listening to it, I was a little that she's just a little too calm about everything that's happening. But they drop those little hints that she knows more than what's going on. And I haven't listened to the whole of this uh, season of uh, Paul, so I don't know what what the <laughs> ultimate revelations are but they drop the hints that she's more aware of what's going on i did think sometimes and i think that maybe a lot of people now if we got popped into some alien planet or something we wouldn't like freak out and say that you know oh this is impossible i think we take a lot of it in stride i don't know if we take the personal danger that she gets put into quite as much yeah. in stride as she does sometimes that struck me as a little um, false but uh, uh, but otherwise yeah I thought uh, Lucy worked for me and the storyline definitely works as has been pointed out it's got lots of little elements of lots of Dalek stories from all over the place I mean and uh, uh, David Whitaker's concept of the human factor from evil of the Daleks is, seems to be the well that just keeps on giving <laughs> we just yeah, keep absolutely. coming back to that <laughs> yeah uh for me it was um lucy was a i think the second companion uh i did it in like backwards order at the time i started i started with dark eyes then i found my way to this this series and i actually uh, charlie pollard was probably the last of the paul mcgann uh so yeah totally backwards on the eighth doctor 
Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, so co coming off of, uh, the, the first dark eyes box set and then starting off with blood of the Daleks probably this is probably the first other one I listened to. Um, I kind of instantly liked, and I don't know if I liked Lucy Miller. I mean, she was, she's got some traits that are, you know, incredibly likable right off the bat, but I liked the chemistry, like the dynamic with the doctor, just the, the bickering kind of, and it was for the most part, it gets a little rough in places, but for the most part, it was good natured bickering. Like you're, you know, um, they're, they're not being cruel to one another, really. They're teasing one another and they're, um, you know, and you could tell by the end of the story that the appreciation has grown and, and, and it sets up these nice little seeds that there's going to be an arc of, you know, and, and that's, that's fine that we can see that broadcast and we wouldn't want them to hate each other all the way through, you know, the series, you, you know, this is going to develop into a relationship, at least a mutual respect, if not friendship. So, yeah, at least um, it's not the six doctor and Perry because yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the, I think that that all really works for me. In fact, the strongest pieces of this, I think, are the developments or the setting forth the pieces of of that relationship between the Doctor and Lucy, and the mystery of Lucy Miller. You know, who is she? How much does she really know? She's being used in some manner by the Time Lords. We're not sure if she's being on the level with the Doctor because she's being very guarded about what what exactly she knows um, and why she's been sent. Um, so, I mean, that obviously makes the doctor very suspicious. I feel like the rest of everything going on in Blood of the Daleks is fine. It's a perfectly, you know, serviceable Dalek story. Like you said, right. a bit of a greatest hits, which I'm actually pretty okay with being that this is a, what they're doing. This is a, a, a grand premiere of the series. It's trying to appeal to people that might be new to classic who, uh, that are coming off of, you know, getting into it through the new series. Um, so, so I'm fine with that. They're, they're showing you some of the best stuff the, the Daleks have done, and they're giving you kind of the flavor of some of these other classic stories that everybody loves. Um, however, I think a lot of the, what's going on in the, in the actual plot of these, this, uh, this story takes a backseat to these, you know, performances, the relationships building, the seeds that they're planning for later uh, in the series. And um that that's both good and bad. Like I, I I don't think I don't think it's the strongest story. It's certainly not even the strongest story of this series. Uh, but does it work as a big kind of hit the ground running grand opening for the thing? Yeah, I think it, I think it works well. I think it puts them into a situation where they're able to kind of work through that stuff. And um, I think what ends up happening in the Dalek story is fairly forgettable at the end of the day. But you know that it's fine. It's perfectly listenable as well and, and entertaining while, while you're on the ride. And yeah, I agree. The uh, Marta, Dr. Marta's Asha switch is a good, is a good moment. And uh, it, it's played very well. Uh, Cause I think when you pull something like that with a character, you have to be very careful that you it's believable all the way through, you know, prior to the twist coming. And I feel like she, uh, Haley Atwell does a really good job with it because once you hear it, I, I listened to this twice uh, in preparation for the show. And once you, once you know, um, you certainly, uh, can hear it in her entire performance. So it's a, uh, it's good performance. So, um, yeah. And I guess the like, relationship between the doctor and Lucy is concerned. I think also the ending is a slight subversion of expectations when you think that, um, the doc, and if I can talk about the ending that you think that the doctor yeah. is actually 
was waiting for her because that's pretty much normally what happens in <laughs> Doctor Who stories. But no, he was trying to leave her there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I tried yeah. to leave and they won't let me. So. <laughs> what I, what I, yeah, and the bit I the bit I found grating the first time that I really enjoyed the enjoyed this time round was was her having gone from I'm so glad you stayed to you tried to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a great like they kind of reverse their like because moments before you know uh hours actually in the story but like moments before in the in the audio um he they're they're doing the opposite thing she's going the fine leave i don't care i i don't i wouldn't want to go with you anyway kind of deal and he's right. yeah um yeah it's it's fun and their relationship is fun throughout the series if i if i remember correctly i know um asad and i covered uh phobos earlier it not not too long ago, a few months ago. And um, that's, you know, I think four or five episodes down the line from here. And th their relationship has already evolved quite a bit by that point. Um, so it was interesting after after doing that recently and then going back and kind of hearing the beginning. It's It was fun. So you get to um, hear the headhunter appear for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So confused me quite a lot in Phobos. <laughs> <laughs> when you, yeah, when you're listening to them uh, not in series order, it's, it's a little, uh, kind of actually in Phobos, I don't think there was context at all to the headhunter. It was just this no. random scene. It yeah. was like, oh, <laughs> right okay. at the end. <laughs> but, yeah, luckily I had heard the whole thing, you know, years back at this point, but I still had some context to what was going on. So um so yeah, I guess the next thing I wanted to talk about was is we we already kind of kind of hit the a couple notes here, but I'm gonna open it up if you have anything else you wanted to add. Is is this a good Dalek story? Like the doctor um you know kind of the doctor himself kind of ties into some other and incites some other instances of the Daleks, literally pulling it into like the greatest hits feeling like he brings up Genesis of the Daleks, not by name, obviously, but like directly says, I screwed up when I didn't eliminate them, you know, <laughs> all this one time in reference to that story. Uh, there are certain um, certainly. Uh, references to other I mean you mentioned power of the Daleks you mentioned evil of the Daleks I mean all of the uh, day of the Dalek destiny of the Daleks I can't remember yeah because um, the Movellans get a mention <laughs> right Movellans get a mention so like all over the place they're pretty much you know every Dalek story kind of finds its way into this does that does the fan service and kind of the um I mean that in a good way and uh, not in a um but does that get in the way of this being a good Dalek story or do you think this is a serviceable fun um do the Daleks shine in this uh this one i think they shine in this i mean i again i'm a i'm a full paid up dalek fanboy you know over <laughs> here so and that was i mean that was one of the things i enjoyed about it the first time i heard it and also the you know the second time that i've heard it and you know was the fact it was a greatest hits album and while you know the problem with greatest hits albums is that they're very rarely as good as the originals just simply because you've encountered them before uh, but there's a lot of interesting ideas that Steve Lyons, who, you know, was a well-established writer of the wilderness period uh, for the show, kind of throws in here. And, not, you know, there's there's variations on themes which are interesting as well, because you have a Dalek civil war at one point. You've got human Daleks. You've got the, the a Dalek creator who's, you know, struggling with the morality of her creations turning against her and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a perfectly serviceable story from that point of view as well. The the thing also about it is, is that, you know, I mentioned Planet of the Daleks earlier being, which was very much Terry Nation having not written for the show for almost a decade at that point going, I'm just going to rewrite all my old Dalek stories into one script. 
And the problem I've always had with power is it's just too dang long at six episodes. Mm -hmm. This one being two 50 minute episodes doesn't outstay its welcome. And yeah. I think that's a big part of why it's at least serviceable to me is the fact that it's, it's, it's very concise and it's very to the point. And the things it does, which are variations on those themes are interesting ones, you know, Haley Atwell being, you know, Professor Martell being the Dalek creator in the circumstance, for example, um, is, is a neat twist on the idea because it could have very easily have been, you know, Davros clone for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and also the setting is an interesting one to throw Daleks into as well. And of course we get the twist later in the story that the Daleks have in fact been involved in events from way back, which again, is, is a neat variation on the theme because usually it's, oh, the Daleks just show up somewhere. And in this case, you know, they've been kind of behind the scene pulling the strings for a while. So if from that point of view, you know, as a, as a big Dalek fan, it's a perfectly serviceable story. Does it do, does it really do anything exciting and original? Maybe not, but it, what it, with what the tropes it plays with, it plays with well. I would completely uh, agree with Matthew's uh, assessment. And I would also say that while there are no doubt uh, references to other Dalek stories in Blood of the Daleks, it never gets to a point where, you know, it, it, it gets in the way of the story uh, that Steve Lyons is attempting to tell. Um, just as a perfect example of uh, a story that did do that would be a victory of the Daleks of, in the Matt Smith era. I remember when I, when I saw that, and, and of course we all remember the line, uh, I, well, it was, uh, I am your servant uh, from Power of the Daleks, but there was another line in Victory of the Daleks that was so similar to that one. I <laughs> am it, your soldier. Well, there, there we go. Thank you, Matthew. It was just, it was <laughs> so obviously like a tip of the hat to Power of the Daleks that for me, it got in the way of my enjoyment of that particular story. But with this one, I think they, I think Steve Lyons, as, as, as the writer of this piece, he really struck a nice balance of tipping the hat to fans like us who are steeped in lore and know this show backwards and forwards, and then providing something that's accessible for newcomers. So I, I thought it was extremely well done um, and, a, and a rollicking adventure. Picking up on what you were just saying, Rick, I think it's also, you know, to use, an, use a fan service analogy, it's the difference between the 80s Dalek stories on TV written by Eric Sayward and Ben Aronovich's Remembrance of the Daleks, because the Sayward scripts were so steeped into what had come before, uh, even with Sayward's script from Revelation referencing so much of Resurrection, that if you didn't know your Dalek stories, good luck figuring out what was going on. Whereas when Ben Aronovich wrote Remembrance, he tossed in little references, but he also created a rollicking good story out of it. And he put those tropes and things that he was using to use to actually in service of the story, rather than going, oh, I'm going to toss this in as a, as a reference to something because I can. And I think that's the difference here as well. Yeah, I think I'd probably put it in like the upper half of uh, the Dalek stories that are um, out there. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't call it either like Deliverance of the Daleks or Rescue of the Daleks, since D's and R's are very popular ways to describe the <laughs> Dalek stories. <laughs> um, it's a nice little sort of in-between thing because of how like um, in Power and Victory, the Daleks are being very subservient. And here they're sort of, they're not subservient, but they're not evil. So they're 
have to like pull themselves back that the doctor must be put on trial. (laughs) (laughs) I like the little line where the doctor talks about how Dalek creators like to monologue all the time. And uh, I don't know, Asha or Martez might actually be smarter than Davros in that he, they're, his Daleks or her Daleks retain sort of a healthy respect for their creator. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Yeah. I did. I, I found it interesting. Like to me, it's a perfectly good Dalek story. I, I see where, um, like you were saying, it's, it's the good kind of fan service. It's, it's Stephen Moffat fan service in a lot of ways and I know a lot of people disagree with this, but like it's sprinkled in nicely, but it doesn't really, nothing hinges upon you having to have that context or having to have that knowledge. Uh, it's there for people to enjoy if they, you know, if that's their thing. And if not, it just goes right through one ear and out the other. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your enjoyment of the, the whole story. And it's just very, very perfect for what they're using the Daleks for. And that is to get everybody into this new series. Of course, if you're going to want it, you want everyone to come and listen to this new series that they're putting on BBC seven. You, I mean, it's kind of like a no brainer. You got to do a Dalek story, right? That's, um, probably your number one best shot at getting getting some interest and uh yeah i i think it's fine it, it's not going to be in the in my in my top but yeah i think you're right aside it's probably top half it's certainly not among the bad dalek stories that are out there um i do think it's interesting there's elements all over this that um you know where we'd see pop up later and, and i it, it as far as i understand the timetable these things were probably in development concurrently so i'm not saying that anything is is being copied or 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 nicked or ripped off of anybody else but um we see this kind of dalek human hybrid thing come up in the next series uh down the road in the daleks uh in manhattan um episode two-parter uh where we see the uh what are they called the cult of sky anyway lots of dalek lore that i'm not up on at the moment but (laughs) um but yeah so so we have the hybrid dalek sec is the the yeah. hybrid uh dalek yeah. yeah yeah anyway it's interesting because that that plays a major role in this story and then we're going to see that very shortly in a television story um so what makes eric if you don't mind me saying uh yeah i think what makes yeah. what, what makes Please. that really um interesting is the fact that you know we've all heard these stories about how big finish had to make certain concessions and change certain things because the new series was was focusing a story on A, B, or C. I mean, I think the most uh, noteworthy example of that would be Queen Elizabeth, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't there a story that um, Big Finish was working on with Queen Elizabeth and then- It's Queen Victoria was supposed to be in in Other Lives, which was an earlier McGann audio. That's it, thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Yeah, but when you hear something like that, you think, well, okay, then they have to, you know, obviously somebody is paying close attention to what the TV show is doing, and they're having to make changes. So you would think there's no way that they would have a human Dalek hybrid before a, se- a season before the uh, the TV show does it. But in fact, that seems to be the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they're different enough from one another um, that Big Finish can get away with it. And in some ways, I think the seeds of these human Daleks in in this story owe more to what Davros is doing in Revelation of the Daleks. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. far more than to what they were, what they would end up doing in the in the Daleks of Manhattan two parter. 
So, you know, it's again, variations on ideas. And there's, there's been other examples, you know, there's a whole Silurians in space story that's been, that Big Finish was going to do that got lost because of dinosaurs on a spaceship, for example. Um, Didn't we just also see this whole, uh, Scaro Dalek versus human Dalek in the last uh, New Year special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yep, in sure revolution. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly something that's come up again and again. In fact, the doctor has a great line in uh, in this story where he says, well, they're always at war with somebody who is at this time, the mechanoids or the uh, Movellans or are you, you know, civil war? Are you fighting amongst each other again? And he pretty much nails down like every time you see the Daleks, this is one of these scenarios that's going on. So, um, yeah. They're blobs, so they're bionic blobs with bits attached. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of good, lots of good uh, stuff. And Paul McGann is, Paul McGann's almost infallible uh, when it comes to his performance as the doctor. I feel like he's, he's become right. one of my favorites over the years just because he just, just has a way of delivering this stuff. That's fantastic and memorable and uh, always has great lines. And no matter who's writing for him, he always pulls out the good stuff. So, yeah, but McGann's a lot like Troughton in that if, if, if McGann like Troughton, if they, if they can't salvage your script, your script has got problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he elevates material for sure. He is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. The, speaking of characters, there are a lot of uh, interesting side characters. We've talked a lot about Asha slash Doctor Martez, um, played by Haley Atwell. But there's some other interesting characters in here. Um, Eileen Clint, who is the acting president of Red Rocket Rising, uh, and the resident conspiracy theorist and uh, crazy person Tom Cardwell who ends up being, you know, kind of a key player in the um, human uprising that ends up overthrowing, you know, the Daleks at the end of, uh, end of this. So um, what do you think of those performances uh, respectively by Anita Dobson and Kenneth Cranham, or are there any other uh, performances in here that you, you enjoyed? I I'll be honest with you guys. There were a, a few moments during the story where I wasn't, quite sure if it was um, Clint speaking and the actress's name is uh, Anita Dobson. I wasn't sure if it was Anita Dobson or Haley Atwell. The voices were a little similar at times, or maybe it's just me being an American and not having like the nuance to be able to distinguish between the two voices there. I, I, I thought, I thought Anita Dobson did um, a fine job um, as, um, as, as Clint um, I, I wouldn't say it, it rises above fine. It wasn't anything particularly noteworthy or e- exceptional, uh, but her, her character is supposed to be sort of your politician type. And, and in the end, they're trying to sort of make peace with everyone and you know, concessions and everything. So I don't know. Um, maybe if you had a, an actor that, that played it larger, maybe it wouldn't quite have worked, but I, I, that wasn't the the highlight. The, the, her performance was not the highlight for me. I did think that uh, Kenneth um, Cranham, who played uh, Tom uh, Cartwell, I thought he was very, very uh, convincing as uh, the resident wacko. Uh, and um, he, he has a great voice, too. Um, he, he was entirely believable, and I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, Kenneth Cranham was a bit of a catch for this because he's he's a well, very well regarded, you know, UK character actor. He's he's not quite a, a star over there, but he's somebody who 
you know, brings a presence and whatnot to performances and whatnot. And, you know, and in that regard, I think he works very well as Cardwell, you know, as, as I think, Rick, you put it, he, you know, he's the resident wacko. But what is interesting is that the way he plays it, you know, he for one moment, he can be the ranting, raving guy as he is at one point standing there with a metal umbrella in the acid rain, shouting to the heavens and all those around him. Tinfoil um, hat yeah. and ten, literally tenfold hat, which I have to, <laughs> which I have to say, I got a very good chuckle out of. Um, but he ends up, but he can also play it very, you know, very serious and very on point. That sort of makes you wonder. And of course, he ends up being right about a lot of things too, which is, you know, maybe not the best message to send about conspiracy theorists. But you know, <laughs> I was thinking that too when I was listening, listening to that. In the context yeah. of 2021. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't encourage them, please. <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, don't, don't encourage them too much. But, it, you know, it works in context of the story. Um, yeah. Right. And, and in the end, he did the right thing and he was the hero. He kind of saved the day. Yeah. To a certain extent. I think both characters are a little bit of a subversion of expectations again in that, um, again, that uh, Cardwell turns out to be right and is quite useful in the climax of the story and uh, Clint is a genuinely idealistic politician not just out there for um, her own power which is what usually is happens with politicians in these stories (laughs) yeah there's a great line at one point where Asha I think has the line about you know what she's good what she's going to do what are you going to do send a stern letter and you know voice complaints and of course that's exactly what she does a little later when the Daleks betray her is say you know I'm going to put a Stage it. I'm going to put my protest most sternly, and it's like, what good is that going to do? You? <laughs> yeah, she she's an interesting character to me, and 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 I kind of agree that the performance isn't you know something that really like leaps out of this, but I did like that at the end of this thing that we find out that you know Eileen Clint is like you said an ideal. She's actually is the person she presents herself as being um, to you know to for better or worse, and then it, it's a bit is both in this story you know there's times when it's certainly a detriment and there's uh but yeah it's it's, she doesn't end up being kind of the i think at first we're not sure whether she's trustworthy even in her own role like yeah what game is she playing because she see she seems a little stagey at first and then once you get to know her i think by the end of the story you're like okay yeah she is exactly what she seems to be and that is uh a by the book kind of buttoned down idealist and uh she is working in her own way for the 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 best thing for the people of uh you know red rocket rising which is an interesting and fun name for a planet by the way i like the, <laughs> but <laughs> um tom cardwell however is, is was a favorite character of this he's one of those kind of characters that you get in a doctor who story that you know is you know isn't gonna ever pop up again he's not quite that unforgettable or that classic but he's he's a lot of fun to spend some time with and his kind of uh, journey throughout the story from being, you know, crackpot conspiracy theorists to, uh, you know, leader of the revolution, essentially, uh, and, um, you know, hero he, almost like, yeah. So in some ways, he definitely reminded me of, and I'm forgetting the character's name, the uh, professor in the Time Warrior, who's so helpful mm-hmm. to oh, the Oh, Rubish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Kenneth Cranham is great as that character. And that character has a lot of great scenes with Lucy Miller as well. I think he their scenes help us get to know Lucy almost just as well as the scenes with the Doctor. 
because she's she's thoroughly creeped out by him. In fact, actually pulls a gun on him at one point to help help them escape. Uh, she comes to, you know, have a begrudging is not the right word because I think it's an authentic respect for him. But uh, but yeah, it, it, their their relationship and then some of their scenes together, I think, help us. It helps us trust Lucy Miller because we hear we see her having this kind of authentic reaction with somebody who's not mm-hmm. the doctor because they've already had this contentious uh, introduction. And there's there's this meddling of the Time Lords, which, of course, sets the doctor off right away. So we're, we're not sure who we, you know, we can trust her. And I think that that helps us to build by the end of the story. We're pretty sure. Um, you know, we know Tom's not crazy and we know Lucy's probably not the bad guy. So <laughs> yeah, the, the bad person, the villain. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to open it up to you guys. Is there anything, uh, discussion topics or things that you wanted to talk about, about Bullet of the Daleks before we start to wind this down? I think the two things that struck me just a little off was that, uh, I guess the TARDIS, uh, the doctor's TARDIS landing in the middle of the road ends up in the death of a totally innocent person, the driver, who is like never really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of collateral damage. And um, at least we didn't have to see that he had like six kids at home yeah. and he was a single father, like Chris yeah. Chibnall probably would have written it. I'm sorry, that's a low blow, but like. <laughs> And I guess uh, if I can mention this, if I can spoil the exact end of the story for anybody who hasn't listened. Yeah, to it, I suppose I should put spoiler this. reviews out. But yeah, we're pretty, we always pretty much spoil it. So. <laughs> I, I, I did not appreciate the fact that this sort of ends on a bad, dark joke. When she talks about that, we've received a message from a planet called Tep. Yeah. It's like, ah, okay. <laughs> Well, I'm you not think sure. They, you think they would have learned <laughs> their lesson we? the first time, you know? <laughs> Somebody else is going to help us. We trust them now. Like, yes. it couldn't happen to us twice. Yeah. So that, Congra- it's one yeah. of those things that what what was the point of that whole story? If there, I mean, obviously it's not said for sure, but it's like, ugh. <laughs> well, yeah. it's um, for spoilers for later in the season. I think it also helps set up the fact that the Cybermen do come back in Human Resources, which is the the two part finale for this season. Um, something I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about Lucy Miller, and I had totally forgotten about this scene till I was listening to it last night. Uh, there's a moment when the Daleks arrive at the spaceport where it's it's heavily implied that Lucy Miller flashes a Dalek. Yeah, or at least, you know, about halfway there, she's adjusting her top to look a little yeah, more alluring. Exactly, yes, exactly. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot about that. Yes. Seducing to, to, a Dalek may be a better so, way. To yeah, to, to coin a phrase, like, um, she doesn't let, like, she, the girls come out for everybody to see, but it, <laughs> it does get pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely turning on, you know, what she sees as the charms for the Dalek. And uh, <laughs> I think Caldwell has a good reaction to that as well. Like, just I'm imagining he's uh, shaking his head like you're insane. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I did the audio equivalent of a double take and then I hit the I actually thankfully was at a red light and I actually rewound the audio a bit and went, did I hear that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those moments that I think. uh just gives us a little another little piece of lucy miller and i mean uh yeah and just what she's maybe what she's all about would be unfair but like yeah, just I mean, just kind of something she's 
Rose never went that far to distract the Artons. That's all <laughs> yeah. I can say. I, I, I was about to say, I've seen many reactions to Daleks and Chicago Tardis and other conventions. Nearly flashing one is a, is a new one Yet for to me. to see that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it certainly is an interesting reaction. I uh, don't think we'll... I We have not seen that before, and I have a feeling we might not see that one again. So that's yeah. uh, hats off to Lucy Miller. So. <laughs> This is kind of random, but, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, certain lines of dialogue in the story that, that stand out and, of course, references to other dialogue stories. Um, one of my favorite lines of dialogue and also a reference to another Doctor Who story was the reference in here to um, unlimited rice pudding when um, Paul McGann said fish and chips for everyone in reference to what the Daleks <laughs> are going to be bringing the planet. Yeah, I thought that was that was made me laugh out loud while I was listening. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, very well like, <laughs> like that too. Yeah. Is there you know one one other thing that I'll just share with you guys is I, I think it's very easy to to take uh, big finish for granted in terms of the quality of like the soundscapes and how cool like all these little background sounds. Um, that they create for for these stories are I, I just think they did an exceptional job with this particular story like I, I found that I was very easily immersed in the world of Red Rocket Rising and the eighth doctor and Lucy and the and the two Dalek factions and I had no problem kind of um, bringing the story to life in in my head as I was listening to the story and there have been big Finnish audios in the past particularly uh, early ones where you know the production wasn't super great sometimes it sounds like maybe the recording location wasn't up to ideal or maybe the equipment wasn't up to snuff i'm looking at you cold it's um but yeah. you know they were but, but 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 with this one they nailed it i mean it really i think it really was at the time probably the most professional sounding big finish release um at the time it just sounds wonderful um the, the music is great. I mean, even the the, the little details of um, the acid rain. Did you guys notice how wonderful the acid rain sounded in this production? It was it was just great. You could you could almost like feel it drop on you while you were listening to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they and they really, and I'm noticing this mostly because I am currently kind of listening through some of the earlier Big Finish stuff right now, and they certainly in the first few years uh just grew up in terms of production value and and kind of the the depths of production that they were going to to the point where they i think by this point where we're, we're launching this new series they had pretty much gotten to the point that they they've remained at they they are giving you um what i would describe as like a almost a cinematic audio experience like you have that kind of surround sound effect almost of like every little um nuance of the environment that's going on is is there and you can kind of live in it it just um like you said the the rain's really good the way it moves around and just uh it kind of comes in quickly but you can hear that that movement as it you can just kind of picture it all happening and um some of the some of the battle scenes and, and obviously we get into situations it's a doctor they're doctor who stories right so there's often you know war or and or battle or you know running across fields of firing something they've always they've been able to handle space very well it's just 
I'm sure it just comes with experience, you know, learning how to, how to do this stuff, but they, they, by this point, they've become the top notch production company. I think that they are, they remain to this day. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure there's anyone out there doing it, doing it better than them. If, if there is, I haven't heard it. So some of the Dirk Mag stuff, cause you know, even when he was doing stuff at the BBC and he's now doing Sandman at, at audible, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, could give big finish a run for their money and very much as Dirk Mags will, will tell you on social media, whatnot, his whole idea was creating movies on audio. Um, it's worth remembering too, that those early big finish stories were very much designed really for those first three or four years were particularly designed to emulate classic who right. and in the music and in terms of sound design, they're very much continuations of what classic who would be just without the pictures. It's all, it's only around 2003 or so. So it's about 40 releases into the, in what's, we today consider the main range that they really started transitioning. And this story I think happens right dead center in the middle of that transition still where they basically said, okay, we we've emulated classic who long enough. We have to build up and sound more modern because we have a different audience coming in. And it's, you can hear the results of that to this day. I've in the last few days, in the last week or so, I've listened to the latest stranded set and the latest four doctor begins set both of which are, you know, light years from where they first began, but you can hear a lot of, a lot of where that came from in this story. Yeah. Well, and I think we're going to leave it at that, but before we do sign off, I'd like to go around and get everybody's uh, final thoughts on blood of the Daleks. So let's go ahead and give it a score out of uh, we'll do out of five Daleks this time. Um, just, uh, we'll start with you, Rick. What do you, any final thoughts and give it a grade. Yeah, no, I, I just think that in terms of a story that is a good jumping on point for new listeners, it's hard to think of a better option than Blood on the Daleks. I think that um, the BBC uh, and Big Finish, you know, hit a home run with this because it is exactly what they set out to do. And again, what they set out to do wasn't to wow old school Doctor Who fans that were looking for something that had never been done before. Again, as we as we stated, it's really about um, you know threading the needle uh, between um, people that were discovering Doctor Who on TV for the first time and wanted to dig a little bit deeper, while also um, making classic Who fans happy. Um, I think they just they nailed it with this one. It's a really nice balance to fun engaging, exciting story with um, exceptional performances from Paul McGann and Sheridan Smith in particular. And Haley Atwell is terrific as well. Um, and again, with the production, thumbs up. It's just kind of amazing. We, we take these audios for granted, I think. I certainly do. I try not to, but it's they, they make so many good ones. Uh, but I think this is, in particular, a real strong ex- example what big finish can do when it's firing on all cylinders and i would give it four out of five daleks i wouldn't say that it's the greatest doctor who on audio story ever uh, but it is a a very well-made one and i give it four out of five and eight out of ten if i'm going to score it also on a on a 10 range there so that's my take um, say that listening to Big Finish is uh, chronologically is probably a much bigger challenge than watching classic oh, it's getting to be that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Asad? Uh, no, I think it's um, polished, professional, um, 
quite an entertaining listen. Um, again, like, and yeah, it's, like, it's a lot of great as his stuff, but it has a lot of its own character. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it like a 3.5 Daleks out of five. Um, it's a pretty good jumping off point, which is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Matthew? I think if you had asked me before this most recent listing, I'd have given it a three three Daleks out of five. Having heard it again, I'm I'm inclined to go between uh, Assad and Rick and give it a three point seven five. I think it gets a lot of things right, but it's also it's a greatest hits album in some ways. But it's also not designed for me at this point. It's it's designed for people who've never heard Big Finish before and people who may not even be totally aware of what Doctor Who is and what it's capable of doing. And I think that new listeners are going to enjoy it far more than us seasoned fans are. So, and there's some great stuff in it. There's some good performances. It's I, it's just not on the caliber of something like, say, Jubilee or even that first archive set. But it's as a jumping on point for anybody who's never heard Big Finish before, you can't go wrong with it, I don't think. Yeah, and I think we're going to be fairly unanimous in most of our sentiments about this. I, I don't know. I like a lot about it. It's uh, I like the new format. I like the new companion. Uh, I love the Eighth Doctor. So all of that stuff, you know, works really well. I like him in this new format. Like the, it's like, and and, and certainly I've gone back and listened to a lot of the like Charlie Pollard. And I like a lot of the Eighth Doctor stuff. Period. I just like the Eighth Doctor in general. But he seems to fit really well into the new show format. He was a, it was a good transition, and it, it works well as a as a piece that's you know meant to grab people's attention. I think this works really well um as a piece and you know in, in the entire you know pantheon of doctor who you know it, it's kind of it's kind of middling to me but what i do like is the way it sets up the doctor and lucy miller and that relationship it starts to i think as rick put it thread the needle but starts to get you into um what's what, what to expect out of this new series and um so i, I think you got to give it a lot of points for accomplishing the things it sets out to accomplish um it it probably part of me wishes they maybe saved the Daleks and, you know, maybe did a, did a flip flop and, and opened with Cybermen and had the Daleks be the big grand finale, but I don't know, whatever. I mean, that you get to see them both in the, in the series and it's, I'm fine with that. So I think I'm going to land at a 3.5 out of five Daleks. It's not an all time favorite, but it's, it's certainly a fun listen. I was able to listen to it a couple of times this week and get, you know, just as much enjoyment the second time through as I did the first. So that, that always says something if you're able to listen to it kind of back to back and still have fun with it. So, yeah. And I think on uh, that note, we'll leave it there. But as we always do before uh, we leave you, we're going to hit the big red button on the machine we call the randomizer and see what it is we're going to be covering next month here on the Police Box and the Junkyard podcast. <laughs> And next month, we're going to be listening to the BBC audio play Destiny of the Doctor Death's Deal, which is the 10th Doctor chapter of the Destiny of the Doctor series uh, is written by Darren Jones and performed by Catherine Tate. So, uh, yeah, we uh, will. Uh... Check that out for next time. If you want to listen along with us, I will post a schedule on our uh, a Facebook group. So uh, check it out there. I'll have a link to where you can get a copy if you're if you need one. Um, and yeah, we'd appreciate it if you listen along. Please send your reviews and feedback of anything we've covered on the show to police box, uh, police box podcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, also, good reviews on wherever you listen to the podcast are always appreciated. And the best thing you can do, obviously, is uh, share the podcast with your Doctor Who friends or people, other people you might think might appreciate it. Uh, this show is prepared with help uh, from the TARDIS Data Core, the Timescales.com, and of course, the TARDIS Library at Timelash.com, which I depend on for most of my book and DVD information. Um, I want to thank uh, every uh, my co-hosts for being here, Matthew, Assad, and uh, Rick. Thank you for joining us this evening. Yes. Um, I hope you'll come back. My pleasure. It was great to be here, and I'd love to come back. Well, we do. I would certainly appreciate you being here and especially staying up late with us. You both, both you and Assad, who are in the Eastern time zone, I know are a little hour later than us here. So, yeah, us cool kids in Central. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, always appreciate you being here. So, um, that's always any, a good time. Uh, yeah. So, I will, uh, I will leave it there and say thank you all for joining us on the Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends, as always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger, some of there's injustice, somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. Direction Point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.